Today, I'm talking about God's grace, a message that I'm calling only by grace, taken from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> this is one of the most quoted passages in the Bible. You'll hear two or three of these scriptures are, are, are ones that people will quote over and over again, speak of, and it's such a powerful passage because it shows us the way to God, and that's by the grace offered through Jesus Christ. You know, the world tries to help us get better, but they really can't. I heard a story about a man who fell into a pit, and he couldn't get out of that hole. A Christian scientist came along and said, you only think you're in that pit. A charismatic came along and said, just confess that you're not in the pit. A Pharisee said, only a bad person would fall into the pit like that. Buddha said, your pit is only a state of mind. An evolutionist said, you are a rejected mutant destined to be removed from the evolutionary cycle. You're going to die in the pit so you don't produce inferior pit falling offspring. Thank you so much for that message of hope there. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. A county inspector said, do you have a permit to be in that pit? A realist said, that's a pit. An idealist said, the world shouldn't have pits. An optimist said, an optimist said things could be worse. A pessimist said, things will get worse. And Jesus, seeing that person in the pit, took him by the hand and lifted him out. And that's what we're talking about today. Salvation, that really, uh, really matters and counts for now and for eternity. In this passage, I see four things I want to point out to you that are important to know when you consider this subject of the grace of God. The first is this. The passage makes it clear that without Christ, we are dead. Now, when we read it here in just a moment, that death is speaking of a spiritual death. We're spiritually dead before we come to Jesus. It says this, verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That last part there when it talks about wrath, you know, I don't, I don't like to cut out the passages that are hard to explain in the Bible. I, I feel that they're in there for a reason. So when it talks about wrath, it's talking about the destruction of sin that must take place for God to show His justice. But God, so it's speaking of an eternal, an eternal place called hell. And the wrath that's to come for those that don't receive Jesus Christ. However, it's important to know the whole passage in the whole Bible is to keep people out of that place. That the grace of God says, I don't want anybody going there. I want everybody going to heaven. Now, when you're sharing with people who aren't unbelievers, let me caution you a little bit. Too often, we make it about their behavior. So we try to change their behavior before they come to Jesus. And this, this passage says that everybody who doesn't know Jesus is spiritually dead before they come to Jesus. So be careful not to start with a political argument or a Fox News or Rush Limbaugh mentality of do right. Um, the, the deal is someone may have it right and they may talk about doing right, but if you really want to change a person, you start with the message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and grace. The Bible says this, that the natural person does not understand the things of God, meaning this, People don't get it when they don't know God. They don't get these spiritual things that come from the Bible. 
But the Holy Spirit will draw them to Jesus. And when we speak of Jesus and his grace and Jesus comes into their heart, the whole talk about abortion changes once Jesus is in a heart. The compassion, the leading of the Holy Spirit, things that they would never be open to hearing before uh, can now be heard with spiritual ears when they couldn't be before. So I'm just saying this. Don't start with all that stuff. Start with Jesus. Take, take them to the grace of God and the good news of Jesus. And then, and then remember this. You can't clean a fish before you catch it. Right? Get, if any fishermen out there. Uh, uh, no, none. Zero. Um, but, you know, if you, if you, you try to clean them while they're in the water, you can't do it. You, you, they're caught, and then they're clean. And that's what Jesus does. Once he, once he reels them in, once this grace and love brings them in, then he opens up their hearts to understanding of these things. So let's stay with the love of God, the grace of God that leads people to salvation. But it's not just talking about people who don't know Jesus in this passage. It's talking to the believers, and it says, you were dead in your sin. Let's not forget where we came from. When I come to this communion table this morning, I, I remember where I used to be before Jesus met me. I don't do it with shame because the shame's not on me anymore. I was walking in sin. I was away from God. And I'm going to tell you something. I've got relatives in California that are some bad people. Don't, don't get this tape out anywhere. But they, they, you know, there's drugs, there's prison, all in my family. I don't know what kind of person I would have been without Jesus Christ. I say that in all humility. I, I, you know, it's hard to be a good husband now. I can't imagine what I'd have been without Jesus. And when I come to that table, it reminds me of what he's done for me to not only save me for eternally, but by his grace to bring his love into my heart. And I have this desire to grow in him and he's transforming me all of my life to look more like him and be more like him. And when I come to this table, I remember that I was dead in my sins, but he's made me alive and the joy he's brought me through family. And, and, and though there's still struggles in life, the hope that I have for heaven, the hope that I have that God's way always brings about the best result. And I, I cling to that and I thank him for that. So if your marriage is struggling today, I want to tell you something. You have hope in Jesus Christ. When you come to this table, you can come to the table over grace that not only forgives, but can transform. And when we listen to God, he continues to bring life to us in all areas and the troubles that we face. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I've actually met people before who think that they've never sinned. If you read the Ten Commandments, it's pretty easy. And let me, let me tell you, the law still serves a purpose. We're talking about grace today. The law can't save anybody. The Ten Commandments don't save anyone. You can live by the Ten Commandments and die lost without Jesus Christ. But what the law does is expose the truth that we're sinners. That we can't adhere completely to this righteousness, although God transforms us and we can become more and more like Him every day, and we're to strive for perfection. The Bible says we'll never be perfect till we see Him. He was the only perfect one who walked this earth. But the law reveals our need for God, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin are death. And that's talking about an eternal destruction, not just struggles in life, and it's both. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So the grace of God is offered. Though we've been sinners, He, he transforms us as we come to Him. I read a story about some ladies that were living a, a really hard life. The place is the Healing House in Kansas City, Kansas. 
And there's a lady named Bobby Joe who used to walk the streets as a prostitute there. And someone came along and told her about Jesus and led her to Jesus, and she got out of that lifestyle. She started following Christ. Not long after that, her mother died and left her a big inheritance. And she knew ladies that were still on the street that she loved, and she knew God loved them. So she took the money, she bought an old boarded-up rest home, and she remodeled it. And she went to the streets and invited all those girls to come live with her in this home. When, she, when they came, she told them about Jesus, and they started coming to Jesus right and left, and they got out of that lifestyle. And then they started serving people in the city, some of the very same uh, people that, that uh, were, were in the places that they were at. One night on a Christmas Eve when they were bringing gifts to others, they were parked at a gas station, and a police officer walked by and glanced in the van, and he said to one of the ladies, I know you, you're... You're alive. I thought you were dead. I haven't seen you there on, that, on, on the beat where I'm at in, in, in a couple years. I thought you died. And then he looked and said, and I thought you were dead, and you were dead. And they all said, no, we're alive. And the truth, truth is, they were dead spiritually. But Jesus met them and brought them to life, and their lives have been radically, amazingly changed because of Jesus Christ, his power, his love, and his grace. But that's not only their story. Oh, maybe you didn't do that, but all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the story for all of us, that we're redeemed, that we were dead, and we've been brought to life. That's what Jesus does. Here's what it says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And there it is again. The title of this, this series of sermons is In Christ, and it's it's. In 60 times, Paul mentions in Christ in his writings. And to be in Christ means to mean that we have this gift of eternal life that's offered through grace, and this grace that transforms our lives like it transformed those ladies. Once dead, but now brought to life. That's the second point. God's grace brings us to life. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Now, I don't know what your definition of God is, and the Father, and you know, people these days will go to war and they'll go to all these things that God doesn't want and say, you know, here's the deal. If everybody followed God's teaching and the teachings of Jesus Christ, there would be no war. But everybody won't. So don't blame it on God when, when it's people, people that won't follow. And, and, and then there's, you know, there's those who attack and those who have to defend themselves. But God, God, God's not for war. God says, if you'll follow me, I'll give you peace that passes all understanding. God says he'll bring healing and hope into people's lives. And God says, my grace will bring you to life, and it'll bring this world to life if people will receive it. Verse 4, because of his great love for us and and God who is rich in mercy. That's who he is. I don't know what your definition is, but listen to the word about who he is. He's rich in mercy. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised up with Christ, he raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of grace. That's what he wants to show us. Grace that's uncomparable to anything else expressed in his kindness. He's full of mercy. He's full of grace. He's full of kindness. Dick told us last week the scripture in Romans 8 uh, 
or, or in Romans rather, that, that says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And now the passage today says the ultimate expression of his kindness is Jesus Christ. He's expressed his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. We had no hope. Another passage here says we, we had no hope but God. And those two words are huge. We were lost without him. We were dead in our sin. See, here's, here's how it works in a nutshell. God created everything. Everything that, that is has come into being because he created it. And his creation, mankind, man and woman, uh, were, were walking in beautiful harmony with him in the garden, Adam and Eve. And he, and he asked them not to sin, not to, not to partake of a certain tree, but they did. And their sins separated them from, from God. And then their sins just multiplied and they started killing one another and hurting one another. And, and here's the deal. Sin separates us from God. God is who's so full of love and altogether holy can't cohabitate with sin. He must punish sin. And he had this dilemma. Those that he loves, that's you and me and all of mankind, all, all, all the men and women of the world, were separated from him. So in a supreme act of love, he made a way to punish sin without punishing us. And the whole Bible is a story of Jesus coming, of the salvation of mankind coming through, through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And Jesus went to that cross, and the wrath of God, because that passage spoke of wrath, against sin, not against people, but against sin, fell on Jesus so that it wouldn't fall on us. Sin and justice, the justice against sin had to be met out, and he met it out by letting the the, 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 the wrath fall on Jesus so it didn't have to fall on us. And God's grace is this. You have eternal life and new life through Jesus Christ if you just take the grace offered through his life. What's grace mean? Grace in the Greek language, which this was written in originally, speaks of kindness, benefit, goodwill. So God has kindness and he wants us to benefit. He has goodwill. It speaks of unexpected acceptance. Though we don't deserve it, he accepts us. It's a superior, grace is a superior granting an undeserved favor to an undeserving inferior. And God offers unconditional love to us through his grace, through Jesus Christ. He loved us so much he couldn't leave us where we were. He wanted to reunite us in fellowship with him, and he's done that through Jesus Christ. But you can't earn it. It's, it's a free gift. The concept of grace is illustrated well by this story of a pastor named Charles Stanley. When he was a seminary uh, student, a professor illustrated grace in, in a pretty incredible fashion. At the end of an evangelism course that they had, uh, this professor gave the final exam with the caution as he passed out the test to read through the whole test before you take it, before you begin to answer any questions. Charles Stanley, who was there in the seminary as a young man, said, as we read the test, it became unquestionably clear to us that we had not studied nearly enough because it was a tough test. The further we read, the worse it became. About halfway through, audible groans, he said, were heard in the classroom. On the last page, however, there was this incredible note from the professor. You have a choice today. You can either complete this whole exam or sign your name at the bottom and in doing so, just signing your name, you'll receive an A. This was a final exam. It was almost too good to be true. What's the trick here? 
You just sign your name and you'll get an A. Well, the professor was trying to illustrate something to his students. One by one, it started to dawn on these pretty sharp people what it was all about. And they signed their names and turned it in and walked out of the room in silence. This preacher says, when I talk with the professor about it later, he shared some of the reactions he's had through the years. He, he gave the test that way. Just sign your name at the end to illustrate grace. You, you don't have to answer it. Just sign your name and you'll get an A. But through the years, these are some of the the expressions or reactions he got from students. Some began to take the exam without reading it all the way through and they would sweat it out for a couple of hours uh, and, before reaching the last page and they go, oh my goodness. Others read the first two pages, became angry, turned in the test because it was too hard and stormed out of the room without signing it. One guy read the entire test, including the note at the end, but he decided that he wanted to take the exam anyway because he didn't want any gifts. He wanted to earn his grade on his own. So he did the test and got his C+. The whole point is grace is free. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But that's not what it's about. It's about his goodness coming to us and forgiving us. It's undeserved. You're not going to be able to earn it. You can only receive it. And Romans 5 says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, we didn't have our act together. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Third point, I'm already on it. It's only by grace that you're saved. It's not by our works. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I like what one guy said. He said, I'm sure glad we're not saved by our good works because I don't want to get to heaven and listen to all the people bragging about how they got there. C.S. Lewis, you've seen some of his movies, perhaps read his books. I, I went to the play Downtown Portland, The Great Divorce, but a, a great Christian man from many years ago was also um, a great theologian. Some don't know that. It's incredible to me that his movies are out, and I think he'd be amazed what God's done with his works. Aslan the Lion, you know, from the Chronicles of Narnia is really Jesus Christ, and that it's a parable of sorts. But C.S. Lewis was uh, once at a university, and he came in late, and students had been discussing what is the key difference of Christianity to all other religions. And when Lewis walked in, they asked him, after much discussion they'd already had, and he said, well, that's easy. It's grace. Christianity, he said, uniquely claims God's love comes free of charge with no strings attached. No other religion in the world makes that claim. They started to discuss it. Someone said, that's a good point, as they described Buddhists who have an eightfold path to enlightenment. Hindus who believe in karma, it's your good actions that determine you know, what you'll come back as and your new life. Jewish people think it's the code, the law, your behavior. You have to earn it. Islam, they say that God is a God of judgment and they'll meet it out upon you to show that you're not doing right in their eyes. Lewis's point was a fascinating and brilliant one. Only Christianity dares to proclaim that God is love and His love is unconditional. And it draws people. The Holy Spirit attends this message of the gospel. I find it so fascinating 
that a preacher or a servant of the Lord, even sitting across from someone with coffee, can share their testimony and a few scriptures about the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit will take that to heart and make that heart believe it as they open up to those thoughts. I mean, it, 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 it transcends arguments. Uh, it, it even transcends relationship. I'm, I'm all for relationship, but I'm telling you, I've, I, I've seen a lot of people come to Jesus where there was no relationship that day, just the gospel that came forward, and they receive it, and their lives are transformed. Perhaps there's relationship beyond there. I, I value relationship, but the point is, it's the good news of Jesus Christ and His love and His transforming grace. 1 Timothy 2.5 for there's only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. Some people say, why does there have to be only one way? That's, that's so narrow. I, I find it fascinating that you can't logically understand that in some, some scenarios in life, there's only one way. Could, 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 could you get there in your mind that you might be in a burning building and every exit might be burning down except for one? Is, isn't that possible that that could be a scenario in life? And since there's only one exit, wouldn't it be wise to take it and not argue about whether the other ones are available? And God said this, there's only one way and it's through a mediator and his name is Jesus Christ, my son whom I sent. Why only one way? Because he only had one plan. He said, I'm going to send my son down. I'm going to let the, my wrath against sin fall on him so it doesn't fall on the others. I'm going to raise him up and I'm going to offer grace. That's the plan that I have. He doesn't need another plan because it's the only plan and this plan works beautifully if people will open their hearts up and receive it. You can't earn it. You can't find it somewhere else. It's offered as a free gift if we'll come to Jesus Christ who purchased that gift for us with his life. Lastly, it says here something that's interesting. We're God's workmanship. I'm, I'm going to say we're, you are God's work of art. Some people like to think of God in terms of science, so they do all these science things. Well, God is art, too. He's not just science. You, tell, you, try, to speak, you try to speak to a painter about what they're going to do in the name of science when they're going to paint on the canvas, and you'll get a funny look back at you. Because the artist, the expression comes from their heart, their soul, the depth of their being, and they put it down on the canvas the way they're feeling it. God's not just science, He's art too. And we have an artist here at the, at the church who created some beautiful paintings in the city of Hillsborough and Tualatin and businesses and hotels by her art all the time. And... Um, as a work of art, it, it would seem silly if, if the art spoke to people and said, look how amazing I am. Look how beautiful I am, since you're his work of art. You know, some people, God gave them their gifts, he gave them their personality, he gave them their propensity to, to have discipline and move to a place of great success in life. And even your talent, not just your spiritual gifts, but even your talent comes from God. But sometimes the work of art, and that's you, that would be me, that's all of us, sometimes we start to think we're a big deal. Say, I'm, I'm quite a work of art. Don't you think that these gifts I have are special? But the art can't brag because why does the art look the way it does? Because the creator of the art was the one 
that fashioned it. Here's what it says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship. That word workmanship uh, can also be translated handiwork. So when I say you're God's work of art, you're his handiwork, here's what I'm saying. God doesn't make any junk. He's got his fingerprints all over you. There's never been anyone like you in the history of the world. No one's ever looked like you. Uh, No one's ever had your personality. No one's had your unique gift set. No one even looks identical to you. Even identical twins aren't truly identical. You're unique. And he created you. You said, well, no, it was really my mom and dad. He said, David said that you created me in my mother's womb. Even that's him. It's the, the master at work. And so if you're his handiwork, you're a work of art, then I like what the New Living Testament says. Instead of it saying we are God's workmanship, it says you are God's masterpiece. You say, how can I be a masterpiece? Well, it's not about going around saying, look how beautiful I am. Look how talented I am. Look how gifted I am. It's about giving glory to the beauty that might be showing in your life. And all of us have beauty. If it's not out, it's just waiting to come out. We just need to yield it to God. But the work of art just gives expression to glory and brings glorification to the creator of the art, God the Father. So our lives can bring glory to God as we yield them to Him. And others can see that when we're like Him, we're loving, we're kind, we reach out. And here it goes on to say we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The same passage that says you're not saved by your good works says that you're created to do good works. What's that about? Well, here's what it means. You're not saved as a result of your works, but your salvation will result in good works because He created you. You're a work of art. He's going to show something beautiful when you're, through your life as you yield. He's going to show His love, His kindness, and good works. Once you come to Him and He starts to fill you with who He is, as you receive that grace, it not only forgives, it transforms. And because He's done so much for you, because the Creator is so amazing to you, now you start to reach out to others with that love that He's given you. And you just start to do good things. You, you can't even help it when you follow Him. Because he'll always lead you to bless others because that's his heart. So you, you, another way of saying this is that God's tran- transforming grace will increasingly result in our doing works that are pleasing to him. Not saved by those works, but once we come to him, we start to love, we start to reach out, and he shows himself beautifully through his works of art. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, from death to life. Our lives are transformed I see this passage illustrated well in the story of Jean Valjean, Les Miserables. It's a great example of grace, that story. And, and uh, you know, I saw, I, for years, I just don't get musicals. I mean, I mean, you know, I'm following along and they're acting and then the cowboys start singing, you know, and I'm just like, hey, you lost me, you know, because that's not real. That doesn't happen, right? Um, and, then, and then I told my wife, I think rap music is the revenge on musicals, Right? If you're going to sing when you should be talking, then I'm going to talk when I should be singing, all right? So I, that's the way my mind, my mind works. But then something happened where they got me. I went to see Les Miserables downtown, and they're singing, and they're acting, and I'm feeling this passion, and they're talking about God and His grace. And I felt like turning to Karen and going, I, I didn't know you could talk about God and this stuff. Okay, it's okay with me now. We can go there. 
But there's an incredible story of God's grace, and I love it that it's in the marketplace. And these cities are showing it mainstream, right downtown. Les Miserables is a French historical novel by Victor Hugo, first published in 1862. It's considered one of the greatest novels of the 19th century. In the English-speaking world, the novel is usually referred to by its original French title, but it would translate for us, The Miserables. And it just talks about people who had some hard life, but God showing up in some way through others to reveal himself to them. The main character in the plot is Jean Valjean. He's sentenced to 19 years a, a term in prison for hard, and, and hard labor for stealing bread. And he felt that it was just too harsh and life was too hard, so he became a hardened convict in those 19 years in prison. And when he's finally given release, he has trouble. He's traveling around for four days and he can't even get anybody to let him in to have a place to sleep or a place to eat because in those days, convicts had to carry a card that must be displayed upon arriving in places that would shelter you. And, and, and the card would say that this is a dangerous felon. And so they wouldn't let you spend the night. So he's wandering. He can't, nobody will accept him or receive him. Until finally, a kind bishop, a man of God, had mercy on him and allowed him to come in and stay the night. I love Victor Hugo's description of the bishop's gracious acceptance of Jean Valjean because it illustrates the grace of God. I want you to take a look at this clip from a movie that's the most recent expression called Les Miserables that you might have seen in a theater. Check this clip out. Hey! Come and suffer, you are weary. And the night is cold out here. Though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. There is wine here to revive you. There is bread to make you strong. There's a bed to rest till morning. Rest from pain and rest from wrong. Bless the food we eat today. Bless our dear sister and our honored guest. Silver, we caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind?
Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. See in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for That illustrates so beautifully the grace that we're talking about today. And here's the deal. That's my story. That's your story too. You couldn't save yourself and the grace of God was given. And God wants to bring that grace to so many others. We're just beggars who are telling other beggars where to come and find the bread that Jesus gives. How to be set free. That movie goes on to illustrate the difference between law and grace. Some of you know this story well. Javert uh, is, is the law officer that wants to live by the law and he wants to kill. The law kills. He wants to kill this man, Jean Valjean. He wants him gone and at the end of the movie we, we see Javert is in a place where Jean Valjean can kill him but he doesn't. The one who wants to kill him, the law that wants to kill, he offers grace instead. But we see Jean Valjean go on with his life to, to actually be a hero, to rescue a young lady, to, to raise her up and bless her life and bless the lives of others and give to his community. And we see that saved by grace leads to good works. Now which is better, the law or grace? I know some Christians who just want a bunch of rules and want people to prove it. But that's not what it's about. That's not how it works. You start with grace and then the good works flow as you receive it, understand it, and God works in your life. Titus 3, verse 4. But when God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Why do we inherit eternal life? Because of his grace. 